Hello, everybody. Um, like Ben said, uh, going to be talking about some plagues today, which, uh, you know, d does not immediately feel like good news in all of this heaviness. Uh, but ultimately, we are going to be talking about God's power today. Um, it'll be... Uh, in uh, well, Exodus 7, 7 through 10, um, we're obviously not going to read through all of that, um, but uh, this week I um, did something that I've never done before, which was uh, Google the term World War III, and I Googled the term nuclear war. Uh, my childhood was after the Cold War, and I don't have like a particular memory of this kind of threat. Um, so I feel it now with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, this is a superpower, you know, with large army and nuclear weapons. And their president, Vladimir Putin, seems bent on destruction with no openness to reason. And right now, it feels like the fate of the world is in his hands. Or, you know, maybe it's in President Joe Biden's hands. Um, uh, it, it feels like peace almost rests on getting all of these decisions right in just the right order and not messing up and maybe a little luck. So are we helplessly in the hands of presidents? Um, today, uh, we're going to con uh, continue a story from the Bible about a global superpower run by a stubborn king seemingly bent on destruction. And to the ancient Near East, Egypt and their king, Pharaoh, seemed to rule the world. And the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. It felt like they were living in Pharaoh's story. But one day, an Israelite named Moses returned after decades out in the wilderness, and he told the Israelites that the God of their ancestors had heard their cries and that he would rescue them out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's Egypt. So this week and next, uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be in Exodus 7 through 10, looking at the first nine of what we call the 10 plagues of Egypt, mighty acts of God's power. So next week, Curtis will teach on all of this with a more sermony sermon. But today, I'll go through the events more narratively. And I'll be speaking first person like I am these characters. We'll look at the plagues from different perspectives, from Israelites, Egyptians, and others. And my hope is that this is an encouragement that we can remember today whose world this is and whose hands that we're in. Aaron, on the way to Pharaoh. Here I am. 83 years old, with my 80-year-old brother Moses, two old men on our way to talk to Pharaoh. No, to give demands to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. We've done this once before, and it went terrible. We asked Pharaoh to let our people, the Israelites, his slaves, go take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Here's what he said last time. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? What I wanted to say was the Lord is the one who created the heavens and the earth. 
He's the one who promised Abraham that his family would become a great nation. The one who used our ancestor Joseph to save Egypt from famine. The one who blessed your Egypt and made it great. Your ancestor, Joseph's Pharaoh, listened to the Lord. Why can't you? But the moment passed as Pharaoh quickly said no. And if I'm honest, the Lord's promise to Abraham is hard to believe right now. We've been enslaved in Egypt for generations. No one alive remembers any other way. This nation and its army are so big, they have chariots. But here we are, two old brothers going to ask a second time. God told Moses he would harden Pharaoh's heart. On the one hand, that's terrifying that the one God could use his power to harden someone's heart. Could he harden mine? But then I remember Pharaoh's heart is already hard. When we approached him the first time, he was vengeful, said our people were lazy, and he gave orders to make our labor labor even more difficult, if not impossible. No, God will harden an already hard thing. A real miracle would be softening it. Moses, serpents in the throne room. Pharaoh didn't listen again. I knew he wouldn't. The Lord told me he wouldn't listen. But for a moment in that throne room, when Aaron's staff became a serpent, I dared to hope. Seeing this sign took me back in my mind to the wilderness when I saw the burning plant that wouldn't burn up. A voice from the plant told me to throw down my my staff and it became a snake, which is something that does not happen. Wood does not become a creature. Could this voice from the plant be the one who created everything from nothing? I showed this same sign of the snake to Israel's leaders. They bowed down and worshiped, weeping with joy because the Lord had seen their misery. But Pharaoh, he just gestured to his royal magicians. They threw down their own staffs, which became serpents. My heart sank. But then Aaron's serpent ate the other serpents. The magicians were horrified. I thought about Joseph's Pharaoh, who had a dream where starving cows ate healthy cows, and this haunted him, and he demanded to know what it meant. But my Pharaoh, who just saw more than a dream, his heart is hard, just like the Lord said. An Israelite, the mighty Nile, red, red as far as you can see, The air is thick with the smell of blood and fish, but I can't look away from the Nile River, the Nile, the source of the nation's welfare. But Aaron stretched out his staff, and this mighty river, the source of life in Egypt, turned to blood. It's like the Lord is saying, I'm not just more powerful than Pharaoh. I am more powerful than the mighty gods of Egypt. What if... The Lord can deliver us. What if he does? This seemed impossible yesterday. Like everyone, I was angry with Moses. It was exciting when he arrived from the desert. The Lord had heard the cries of our people. Of course, I like the idea of leaving Egypt. But Moses doesn't know Pharaoh. He's been off who knows where while we've been building the pyramids. Because of Moses, Pharaoh gave us extra work 
Yesterday, I thought we'd be better off without Moses. But today, today the Egyptians have the extra work. I see them digging trenches along the Nile to get drinking water. The Lord heard the cries of our people. Will Pharaoh hear the cries of his? An Egyptian, piles of dead frogs. I'd throw up again if there was anything left in my stomach. The stench of these frogs is overwhelming, just like a week ago when the blood and fish were overwhelming. When you're shoveling piles of dead frogs, you can't help but think of Heket, the fertility goddess with the head of a frog. When you're digging a trench by the Nile, you can't help but think of Hopi, the god of fertility and the Nile's annual flooding. Are Heket and Hopi sick? But all is not lost. The sun still rises each morning. Ray still sails his barge across the sky. They told us that Pharaoh's magicians could turn water into blood. They assured us the magicians turned water into blood and summoned frogs. But why couldn't they undo it? Why did I spend days digging up water? Why was I covered in frogs yesterday? And why did I spend all day shoveling them? I heard a rumor. Whispers that the man from the wilderness cried out to their God, and that's when the frogs died. Why couldn't our magicians make it stop? Who is this God of the slaves? Who slays the mighty Nile? Who has power over the water of the river and the creatures of the land? Does he also have power over the air? Does he have power over Pharaoh? They say he hears the cries of his people. I can't help but wonder if we cry out, would our gods hear us? A royal magician, gnats from the dust. It finally happened, a terror we couldn't replicate. I admit we were thrown off by the serpent incident, but that sharpened us, returned us to a strict training regimen. I'm proud of what we've done. We've been able to turn water into blood and summon frogs. I wish the people could understand how impressive our work was. But they seem fixated on what we can't do. Just like Pharaoh, he is furious that we could not create a swarm of gnats. We tried. Oh, we tried. But Aaron, he, he brought the gnats out of dust. Dust, no one can create living things out of dust. Telling Pharaoh was awful, but the worst part is knowing that a great power is at work. We tried to tell Pharaoh that this is the finger of a god, but he would not listen. What if the next terror is worse? Will he listen then? Aaron, the turning tides. Things are changing. With this sign, a swarm of flies, Pharaoh said something I never thought I'd hear. Go. Make your sacrifices. But this time it was Moses who said no. The Lord had commanded that we go out of Egypt on a three-day journey to his mountain, and Pharaoh's offer was to let us sacrifice here in Egypt. Pharaoh is showing cracks, but Moses grows stronger. My little brother who stutters, who told God he couldn't speak, who needed me to declare the first signs and wonders. He said no 
to the most powerful man in the world. He is clinging to the promises of our Lord. When Moses was first called out in the wilderness, he asked, who am I to do this work? And the Lord said, I will be with you. I can see it. The Lord is with him. An Israelite, mercy in Goshen. Things have changed after the Nile and the frogs and the gnats. I knew that the Lord is powerful, but when the flies came, there were no flies here in Goshen, the home of the Israelite slaves. And after that, a wave of terrible sickness and death passed over the animals of Egypt. We could hear the cries of the horses and donkeys and camels, but sickness and death were nowhere to be found in Goshen. The Lord has spared us. I knew that the Lord was powerful, and now I know he is merciful. An Egyptian, shelter from the storm. We were huddled together in the house, our family, our slaves, and as many animals as we could fit. Tensions were rising, with my brother yelling at me that this Moses played a trick on us. There would be no hailstorm. Moses wanted to humiliate us, and we played right into it. He was right. This was absurd, huddled in here, and it's humiliating. But then I looked around, and I saw the scars, people and animal covered in scars. The boils from Moses and his God were not a trick. Neither were the flies or the frogs or the blood. This God of Moses is powerful, and when he speaks, we must obey him. Pharaoh's official, women and children. After Moses left, we begged Pharaoh to let the Israelites go and worship their God. A swarm of locusts? The hailstorm left Egypt in ruins, but, but we could still keep what we had. To my astonishment, he listened. He called for the brothers And Pharaoh finally said to them, go worship the Lord your God. And to my horror, it was followed by, but. Pharaoh said, tell me who will be going. No, 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 no. Just just give this God what it wants. Moses replied, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and daughters and our flocks and our herds because we are to celebrate the Lord. I prayed Pharaoh would let them, but he got angry. He said, the Lord be with you if I let you go. Women and children, you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go. I held my breath. Surely this God would find the sacrifices of men to be acceptable But the locusts still came because this is a God who does not just invite men to celebrate and worship. This is a God of women, children, the young and the old. Pharaoh, sin. What have I done? I have sinned against the God of Moses. I confess this once to the brothers And ask them to take away the hail. 
And their response haunts me. They said, there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The hail stopped. I did not let them go. I sinned and now I have sinned again. This time I will ask for forgiveness. Yes, yes, this will stop the locusts. This will restore order to my kingdom. Then I will let them go. Moses, my firstborn son. On the way to Egypt, the Lord said to me, See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Pharaoh has refused, but the Lord has not yet struck his son. If that's what it takes to change Pharaoh's mind, why did God not do this from the beginning? Why has he given Pharaoh so many chances? Eight signs, nine if you count the serpents, and Pharaoh's son still lives. Surely this is a Lord of mercy. Before the hail, the Lord gave me another word for Pharaoh. I will send the full force of my plagues against you and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have spared you for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Eight signs. And yet Pharaoh still refuses. There will be a ninth, a sign of darkness, and his son will still live. In Egyptian, darkness. Darkness. Total darkness. How long has it been? How can we know without the sun? We cannot work. We cannot even see. Where is Ray, the god of the morning sun? Every day he sails his ship along the heavens. Some days there are clouds and seasons change the time of it, but the sun and day always come. Where is Ray? And who is this powerful God of Moses? An Israelite. Light in Goshen. Darkness. Darkness in Egypt for three days. What does this mean? There has been total darkness before at the beginning of all things, when the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. On the first day, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And on that day, he divided light from the darkness. How can that be undone? Is creation itself unraveling? And yet, there is light here in Goshen. Light and dark is still divided. It's night in Egypt and day in Goshen. Can the light hold? Surely God is with us, but I see the darkness and it is enormous. It wants to swallow us. This light that shines in the darkness, can the darkness overcome it? And yet, 
I know that he is the Lord. I have seen him at work. Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt are nothing compared to the power of the Lord. He has been merciful to his people, and he has been merciful to the Egyptians. The Lord told our ancestor Abraham that through his family, our people, he would be a blessing to all nations. He blessed Egypt through Joseph, and now he has had mercy on the Egyptians who would come to Goshen. Everything in creation is under his authority. The mighty Nile and the sun itself are under his command. Neither the gods of Egypt nor the hard heart of Pharaoh can oppose him. He is the Lord of all creation, and there are no gods before him. He has heard the cry of his people. Nothing is too big for him. No river, no land, no air, no king can separate us from his rescuing love. I know that he is God, and I know that rescue is coming. Ben, it's me again. (laughs) And spoiler alert, rescue came. God was faithful to his people, even in the shadow of kings and empires. And it was in the shadow of the mighty Roman Empire that God chose to send his son. Jesus grew up in the land of Caesar. And every year, his family, along with all his people, they celebrated God's work in Egypt with an annual meal called the Passover, a reminder of God's saving work and that this world is not in the hands of kings. And the night before he was executed by the power of Caesar, Jesus celebrated this meal once again. But he talked about a new rescue that was coming, that God was doing something mighty, even in Rome. And we're going to remember that right now and take communion. Um, If you don't have one of these, we've got some back there in the back. On that night, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And today, as God's people who live in a world of powerful kings, we gather with the centuries of the church who have always lived in the shadow of powerful kings. And we celebrate this meal and we remember what God the Father did under Pharaoh and what his son Jesus did under Caesar. Pharaoh had chariots, but he could not control or conquer our God. Caesar had the cross, but he could not keep Jesus Christ in that grave. 
We are not in the hands of presidents. And because of the powerful, merciful work of God the Father and Christ the Son, we belong to the kingdom of God. We are his sons and daughters, his women and children, his young and old, and we are all invited to celebrate. Let's pray before we enter into a time of celebration. Father, we thank you for your rescue. We thank you for your power. Uh, We thank you for being a God who can and a God who does. And Lord, um, as we feel helpless in the midst of the things around us, God, I pray that we would lift up those things to you. And remember that we are praying to someone powerful. And we we pray that we would remember uh, whose world this is, whose kingdom that we belong to. And um, God, I just pray um, that you would just help us to remember uh, as as the kings of this world and just the the non-kings that threaten to overwhelm us that we would remember whose hands we are in and whose world this is. It's yours. And we thank you that we can come and pray before you um, because of the work of your son. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.